Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, the first 12 verses. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marvelling to himself at what had happened. Amen. Let's pray once more briefly. Father, will you grant to us this morning that glorious light concerning the risen Jesus Christ, that our hearts may be instructed, renewed, encouraged, directed in a way of prayer and praise and righteousness. O Lord, for your glory's sake, hear us and bless us, we plead, through Christ our Saviour. Amen. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the good news which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." That's Paul's summary in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4, of the gospel. At the heart of it is the testimony that is contained in all four gospel records. This full account, these four different views of the same event. The fact that Jesus Christ died, crucified at Calvary. That he was buried and remained in the tomb through the Sabbath day. And then that he was raised again from the dead on the first day of the week. We are between the burial and the resurrection in our working through Luke's gospel. The dark day in which the sun was blotted out has become a dark night, not just physically but spiritually. Even those who have been with the Lord Jesus and have heard the things that he has said have reached the conclusion that this seems to be the end of the road. That the Jesus in whom they had trusted, the one who they thought was going to deliver Israel, has failed. 
He's been crucified on a Roman cross. There is a pause. There is a rest. But there is now at the beginning of Luke chapter 24 a bright dawn. There is a new beginning. It is a new era. In fact, we might properly say a new creation begins this day. It is, says Luke, the first day of the week, very early in the morning. We might say the crack of dawn. This is the the first glimmerings of the new day. And incidentally, this is why we still gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection. We do so because this is the day that commemorates the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the day when we celebrate and anticipate that this risen Jesus will draw near to us again and fill us with his favour, with his spirit. But at this point, there is not much hope in the disciples, in the women, in the apostles. They arrive while it is still gloomy and while they are still gloomy. But the light is beginning to shine. The sun is rising. We begin by noticing the devotion that is displayed. If you were here last week, you would recall that uh, these are the same women who were the last to leave on the Friday evening. And they're the first to return on what we would call the, the Sunday morning. They are the ones whose attachment to the Lord Jesus has proved unshakable. Even when others have departed, they have remained. And they're ready to invest also. We had those those two men, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph provides the tomb. Nicodemus brings a, a kingly gift of spices to wrap the Lord Jesus in with the linen that, Nic- that uh, Joseph has provided. The women are coming back because they've also prepared spices. They want to honour and anoint the Lord Jesus, who they expect to find dead. And as we said last week... Their faith is disappointing while their faithfulness is commendable. Their attachment, you have to praise it. They're there still. I mean, some of us barely get up in the morning to get to church. They're at the crack of dawn at a tomb in order to honour Jesus Christ. But the honour anticipates finding him dead. They don't think that anything will have changed. They expect to find the closed tomb the sealed tomb and the dead body in fact one of the other gospel writers says one of the things they discussed on the way was how they were going to open this tomb there's a big stone lying in front of a a, an entryway that may be about the size of the front of this pulpit and when they come to the tomb they find the stone rolled away and they did not find the body of the lord jesus And you're meant to be surprised at what they found and surprised at what they did not find because they were surprised by both. Look, the stone has been moved. And look, there is no body in this tomb. And it leads, first of all, not to delight, but to confusion. You see their devotion. Now we see their confusion. John tells us again in his gospel that the instinct of these women was to assume that the body might have been stolen away. They did not jump to the conclusion, he has risen. 
You might say, well, why didn't they? Well, we need to understand some of what's going on really and spiritually. But what actually helps us here is that these women had to become convinced. They had to reach the point where they were persuaded. They were not foolish and gullible women. Their first assumptions were as sceptical and so-called rational as anybody else's today might have been. When they found these things as they were, expecting that the Jesus who had died on the Friday would be dead on Sunday morning, they were, says Luke, greatly perplexed. They were confused. And then they became fearful. Because as they were greatly perplexed, look, two men stand there in shining garments. And they became afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth. I think we're with them at this point, aren't we? You turn up at a, a tomb even today. Suppose you buried someone last Friday and you thought that on the way to church this morning that you would drop by and maybe put some flowers on the grave and you arrived and the grave is empty and the coffin has been broken open and then there's two men shining like they've got mag lights in their clothing standing next to the tomb and I would probably be on my face, if not sprinting in the other direction, wondering what on earth is going on here. This is profoundly disturbing. There is despondency mixed with distress. And it first leaves these women in a state of agitated bewilderment. So you begin with devotion. You press on with confusion. Then things are made clear by a proclamation. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Who are these two men in shining garments? Mark describes them also as two men. Matthew and John both make clear that they are angels from heaven who have come to announce what is taking place. Now, if you're sitting there going, angels? Really? You haven't seen anything yet. The problem with this narrative is not the fact that angels have made a proclamation. If you're not inclined to believe, the problem you're going to have to deal with is the fact that Jesus of Nazareth has risen from the dead. If that's true, the fact that the angels have come to tell these women about it is neither here nor there. This is an entirely supernatural occurrence. This is a declaration of heavenly reality. We have seen angels before in Luke's narrative. And here they are again. And they ask a question and they make an affirmation and they issue an instruction. And the question cuts to the chase. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And there's a rebuke there for them. There's a rebuke for these. Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? You should know better, they're asking. The question that the angels ask the women has actually got more substance to it than a lot of the answers that you sometimes get to questions. The, the, the question actually provides the answer. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Then they make an affirmation. 
In case you didn't get it, he is not here. He is risen. Now, my friends, this is so important that we understand. This is not just a symbol. The grave really is empty because Jesus really has risen. This is not the wish being the father of the thought. This is not a sort of metaphor. Sometimes you'll have people today saying, well, Jesus was alive in their hearts. They still loved him, so he was kind of with them still. No, this is truth. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, is not in the grave because he has risen from the death. Death has been conquered. Your sins have really been forgiven. His identity as the Son of God is established beyond question. And his reign has begun. And this, my friends, is the promise and the hope of every true Christian. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, then you are still in your sins. You are lost and under the condemnation of God because the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead on the third day. Your salvation is not grounded in feelings that you just feel that Jesus is alive or that you feel that things are better today than they were tomorrow or even because, you know, the sun's shining. Well, I feel better than I did when it was dark and gloomy. Your hope is grounded in facts. Why are you looking for a living man, the man of life among the dead? He is not here and you shouldn't expect him to be. He is risen Again, God has brought him back. And there's instruction. Remember. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. What gives these women confidence? It's truth. It's God's word. Christ has spoken. You shouldn't be in shock, say these angels. You shouldn't be confused. Everything should be clear to you. We've had it already in Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, in chapter 18. He spoke to them very plainly that he would be delivered into the hands of wicked men, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. Here it is in Luke 18. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem... And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. We've seen some of that as we've worked our way through the history. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. The angels say, it was all laid out for you. Christ himself made clear what would happen and when and how. And my friends, these same realities need to ring in our ears and resound in our hearts. We need to do what these women did. Recollection. So simple, isn't it? And they remembered his words. This is possibly the greatest oh yeah moment in the history of the world. 
It's wonderful. They remembered his word. Light dawns in their hearts. It doesn't mean just they were aware that he had spoken something like this. This is where they join the dots. This is where they say, that is what he said. And this is what he was talking about. He did say that he would be delivered into the hands of wicked men, that he would be scourged and spit upon. He did say that he would die on the cross and be buried. And he did say that he would rise again from the grave on the third day. This is what he was... That, that is this. These are the things which he spoke to us. And the truth now begins to grip their souls. Maybe before they thought it was, it was just a metaphor. Maybe before they thought he was telling another parable. Maybe they thought he was talking about the resurrection of the last day. But this is where it all clicks. They remember that God has spoken. The prophets declared it. Jesus emphasized it. And now it all is coming to pass. Now, Christian, how many of your difficulties would be resolved if you just remembered what Jesus said to you? <laughs> how many of your doubts would be cleared in a moment if you simply took the Son of God at his word? How many of your distresses would be lifted if you simply trusted the promises that God has made, which are yes and are men in Jesus Christ? It is such a simple statement. They remembered. They remembered. What a kindness of God. Sometimes when we are in difficulties, when we are in doubts, when we are in distresses, what is it, brother, sister, that really encourages, comforts and establishes you? It's not that you just started feeling better. It's that the truth came to your soul. Perhaps a friend calls you and reminds you of what the Bible says. Perhaps somebody sends you a text. Perhaps you, you see something on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be and someone's posted Bible truth. Have you not found again and again that real, sustained comfort and peace comes from what God has spoken? That's where our souls rest. The angels themselves, they're not telling them anything new. They're reminding them of what they've been told. Christ, when he spoke to them, he was building upon the foundation of the Old Testament prophets. God has spoken. God is true. God has brought to pass all that was prophesied. This is our confidence and our comfort. Remember what he said, and they remembered what the Son of God had spoken. And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostle. After recollection, declaration. There are echoes here of the incarnation. Echoes of the birth of Jesus Christ. You go all the way back to Luke chapters 1 and 2. And what do you have? Angelic testimony. Human believing. And then whether it's Mary 
or it's Elizabeth, or it's the shepherds on the hills, or whoever else it may be. They tell people what God has done in the world that God has made. Angelic testimony to some, and then human witness to others. And these women, who were not inclined to conclude that the empty tomb meant a risen Jesus, they have become persuaded persuaded by the divine promises persuaded by these heavenly words persuaded by these earthly evidences they've been there with him all along mary magdalene so often at the forefront of this group of women a woman called joanna mary of james probably mary the mother of james could be the wife of james and others and they now believe they know that Jesus of Nazareth has risen from the tomb, and therefore they speak. Now when it says they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, what do you imagine that sounded like? Now you boys and girls, when you get home at the end of a school day, Maybe dad says, what's been going on today? And mum asks, have you had a good day? And you sort of kick off your shoes. You put, yeah, it's been all right. Morning was okay. Teacher got a bit stroppy. Didn't submit that homework. Didn't get into too much trouble. Had a good PE lesson. Dinner was pretty good today. Would you go home in that way? Kick off your shoes, hang up your coat and say... Yes, someone rose from the dead today, but whatever. Can you imagine how these women went back? Can you imagine how they rushed into the presence of the apostles? They're not just passing on some data. They've persuaded. They are convinced. They are assured. And they want to persuade and convince and assure others. You can almost imagine them getting these men by their collars and saying, the tomb is empty because Jesus has risen. There were angels there. They've made it plain. The stone had been moved away. The soldiers were lying there like, dead men on the ground the angel spoke to us we went in and saw the place where they'd laid Jesus Christ now again for our confidence this is not the way to persuade a first century audience let alone a first century Jewish audience in this culture the testimony of a woman is not worth the testimony of a man In this environment, the word of these women does not count for very much. If Luke had wanted to tell you a clever lie, the last thing he would have done was have a group of women be the first people at the tomb. That helps you to know that Luke's telling the truth. He's not just trying to spin a compelling fiction. He's telling you what really happened. And the very fact that it's women who are the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows you that Luke is sticking with the honest truth, not the impressive lie. This affirms the fact that Luke is telling us what really happened. These women are now excited. They are persuaded. They are convinced. They are assured. And so we come to reaction. We've seen the devotion of these women. We've noted their confusion. We've heard the proclamation of the angels. Their recollection. Yes, this is just what Jesus had said to us. There's this declaration. 
They turned, returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven, to the eleven remaining apostles and to all the rest. There are four reactions that we need to consider. We've already addressed one of them. It's the reaction of the women themselves. They remembered and they believed. They took what God had said seriously and under the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit, They joined the dots and they realised that what God says is true. Faith rests first upon the testimony of God's word. They thought about what God had said and they thought about what God had done. They considered the words of Jesus Christ. They considered the acts of Jesus Christ and they believed him. The women remembered and believed The apostles, the second reaction. Now, if anybody in this history should have been ahead of the curve, it should have been these 11 men. They've been instructed by the Lord Christ for three years in close personal detail. They should have been, first of all, believing. Though they were not, when these women arrived, they should have jumped for joy. But the words of the women seemed to the apostles like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Basically, it means they thought the women were mad. Maybe you're just overcome with grief. Maybe it's all been too much for you. Maybe you should have had a little more sleep last night. Maybe you should have taken one or two of your supplements just to help keep things on the level. Pride and grief and doubt can do very strange things to the human mind. These men were very distressed. But their distress was in danger of putting them beyond the truth. There is possibly pride here. There may be some chauvinism. They may have been typical in their response to these women. You don't know what you're talking about. So let's beware the dark depths of our own hearts. If you go out and tell people about Jesus Christ, they will think that you are mad. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, really? Angels? Resurrection? Does he really expect me to believe these things? Yeah, absolutely I do. Because this is the truth of God. And this is the salvation of sinners. Notice again that the men who came to proclaim Jesus Christ as risen from the dead were not easily persuaded themselves. They were not gullible and they were not sentimental. They were as realistic as anybody today who can can proclaims themselves a real scientist. They were as sceptical as any so-called atheist. They had to be persuaded. Their instinct was to conclude that Jesus had died and must remain dead and that everything had fallen apart. But something has occurred which has brought them to the point where they are ready to stand and preach and die because of a risen Jesus Christ. They are persuaded by the same things that persuade us by the word of God 
and by the evidence of the empty tomb. I would also be, say to you this morning, be careful who you dismiss. Pride and grief and chauvinism aren't dead in the church of Jesus Christ. Just because it's women or just because it's children or just because it's someone who's not particularly impressive. It's very easy for us to excuse the truth, to divert these things. When someone speaks with faith and courage, speaks truth, it does us well to heed what they say. God himself tells us that sometimes it is out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants that truth is ordained. Be very careful who you dismiss. There's a lovely story. Some of you will know the name of Hugh Latimer, one of the great heroes of the Reformation. He was the man who died with uh, Ridley in a fire at Oxford, martyred for his faith, saying, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. And we all remember wonderful, bold Latimer. Do you know how Latimer got converted? There was a man called Thomas Bilney. They described him as mouse-like. Thomas Bilney had become a true Christian. At that stage, Hugh Latimer was the champion of Roman Catholic false teaching in the University of Oxford. They said he carried the cross in the processions. He was front and centre, the champion of false teaching. And Little Bilney, that was his nickname, Little Bilney went to Hugh Latimer and said, can I make my confession to you? And Latimer probably thought, well, good, this is a nice Roman Catholic practice, and clearly little Bilney's come to his senses, and he's going to tell me everything that he's got wrong. Well, Latimer heard that day a confession the likes of which he'd never heard before. Little Bilney confessed Jesus Christ as saviour to scary Latimer. And Hugh Latimer was converted. Don't underestimate the little Bilneys. Those who may seem very weak or very frail. These were women of God, women of faith and women of courage. And they were the first and the bright testimonies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the apostles dismissed them. Idle tales, these foolish women. And at this point they did not believe the women, they needed to be rebuked until they remembered and they believed. The apostles, they heard the truth and still they would not be persuaded. And then there's Peter. Peter at least decides he's going to go and have a look. It's very Peter. He arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marvelling to himself at what had happened. Peter is intrigued and disturbed. He sees the evidence for himself. Now, there's no evidence here of pillage, no evidence of robbery. Some people today will still say they've stolen the body away. That's what the women, first of all, feared. Have you ever been burgled? Did they tidy up after themselves? Did they leave things neatly folded when they'd gone through your drawers and your doors, uh, your cupboards and so forth? No, Peter looks in and he says, this is, this is not a robbed tomb. There have been no thieves 
here, going through the linen cloths, looking perhaps for those expensive spices. The clothes have been neatly folded, and the Jesus who was laid in this tomb, he is not there. You want him to believe at this point, don't you? You want him to remember too what Jesus Christ has said and say, it is true, it is true, I've seen it with my own eyes. But he went away marvelling to himself. Be very careful that that is not where this leaves you this morning. Impressed but unbelieving. It's not enough to read these things, not enough to hear these words, not enough to be able to flick back and forth between the various passages which show the credibility of these things. Sometimes people say, well, if I could see for myself, I'd believe. If you could show me the empty tomb, Peter, have a look. Wow. But no faith in a risen Jesus at this point. I plead with you, don't simply be impressed at how it all holds together. You need to do more than this. And again, notice, it is not simply the evidence of the human eye, but it is the testimony of God's word under the powerful influences of the Holy Spirit that bring any fallen human heart to the conviction, the persuasion that this Jesus, the saviour of sinners, is risen from the dead. And so there's a fourth reaction that we need to consider. The women we've seen, the apostles we've seen, Peter himself among them, and there's you. You are reacting to the testimony of God's word and the record of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as you sit here this morning. The testimony is clear and candid. Luke delivers it without any frills, without any froth. It is plain, it is clear, it is credible, it is substantial, it is detailed. It doesn't have the gloss of a clever lie. It has the roughness of real truth. I have delivered it to you, I hope with God's help, without compromise and without apology. I've tried to leave nothing out. I have laid these things before you. And I want to know now, how will you respond to the risen Jesus? How are you responding now to the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? This is the saviour of sinners. This is the hope of people like me and like you. This is the testimony, the joy, the peace, the confidence and the comfort of every true Christian. Whatever we have to face, whatever we have to deal with, you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says this is the good news we declared that the Christ of God, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. And if that's not true, then your faith is empty. If Christ isn't risen, it all falls apart. You only need one promise of God to fail and you can't trust any of them. Here's the great promise that he would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. The third day, very early in the morning, just as had been promised, Christ rose from the dead. 
By Luke's record, you can hear the heavenly testimony. By Luke's record, you can look with the women and with Peter into the empty tomb. Luke declares a risen redeemer. Do you trust him? Are you believing in Jesus, crucified, buried, risen again from the dead? That and that alone is life everlasting. If you come now to him, if you take God at his word, if you take Christ at his word, if you take Luke at his word, speaking as a man under the influence of the Holy Spirit, if you look to this risen Jesus, if you believe that these things being true, there is a saviour for you and you will entrust yourself to him, then this same Christ becoming your saviour, he will save you from all your sins. He will give you the assurance of life now and life everlasting and you will be able to live and to serve with confident hope and lasting joy. Christ is risen. Believe and live.